God's Word today. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we began a new series called DNA, and it basically flows from this idea that God, the God who created us, created us with a certain design in mind, a certain intention for how we would live our life, the kind of experiences that we'd have, and the kinds of things that we'd bring energy and attention to. We started this idea with with God's basic grand design for our life. Anyone like the show Grand Designs? Did you know God has a grand design for your life? That was like, how cheesy was that on like the cheesy preacher scale? It was registering pretty high in my mind. But God does have a design for our life, that he has a design for us to experience connection with him. And we began with this idea a couple of weeks ago that primarily we experience connection with Christ and who God is through other people of faith. That God's plan for us to experience the fullness of who he is is to do that as a community. Then we followed on and we thought more about God's design for our life, which was to bring worship to who he is, which is what we've had an opportunity to do together here this morning. And we're going to continue in that this morning with another design that God has for our life. But before we get there, I want to take you to an experience that probably most of us have had or at least over the last two years. Have you ever looked at a location, maybe on an Instagram feed or in a documentary or in someone else's photos, somewhere else on planet Earth, and you're like, geez, I would love to go there. Anyone experienced that in the last, you know, 12 to 24 months? You're like, yeah, that's a fairly common emotion right now in the world. Now, I remember having this experience many years ago, and, uh, and I was actually, first off, it was in a book. Remember books? When you used to read books and do so? I hope you guys are still reading books. And uh, I remember being exposed to Yosemite National Park in the United States and California for the first time. Anyone seen this place before? Maybe you've been there or seen images of it. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, this place is amazing. The kind of wilderness that was there, the, the forest, the mountains, the waterfalls, the rivers, the stone faces, the deers, the bear. And, and I've got to be honest, bears do make me a little bit anxious. And I thought to myself straight away, this is a place that I would love to visit. I saw it at a distance and immediately realized this is a place that I want to be and a place that I want to go to. Who's had that experience before? Come on, we've all had that. I like a bit of response. If it, you know, you've all had that experience, right? Even if it's just like, you know, Hungry Jack's down the road or whatever. But we can dream a little bigger, I'm sure. And then I was very grateful, several years later, we were in the States for a wedding, and my wife and I had the opportunity to actually go and visit Yosemite National Park and go to El Capitan. Anyone got a MacBook at home? You've probably seen this on your home screen under a certain model. Uh, But anyway, we had the opportunity to actually go in real life. Now, words can never fully express the difference between experiencing a place like this at a distance, like all we are right now, and to have the experience of actually going there in person and feeling the cold wind coming down from the mountain and hitting you in the face, placing your hands upon the stone surface of the mountainside, hearing the rapids and the sound of the waterfall, the spray of the mist on your face. Nothing can quite compare, and there are no words can fully describe the difference between experiencing a part of our planet like this and literally being there, experiencing it with all of the senses, being there right in that moment. Anyone had that experience before? You see a place, and everyone's like, geez, I want our borders to open, and I just want to go. (laughs) That we have these experiences, and what's so powerful about this is when it comes to God's design for our life, that I believe at the center of God's design for our life is to experience personal, real relationship with Jesus. But so often, we limit our experience of who Christ is to a distance. 
where God's design for our life is to experience Jesus in a deep, personal, and up-close way. You know, one of the common pictures that we see in the New Testament, and in particular throughout the Gospels, is Jesus teaching upon a mountainside where a crowd would gather, and they would hear Jesus speak about the kingdom of God. You could imagine maybe rolling hills uh, with grass looking out over the Sea of Galilee, and there Jesus begins to teach. Now, there's two sets of people at those kind of moments. The first set of people I want to draw our attention to is the crowd that gathers. There's a crowd that gathers to hear what Jesus has to say. But that same crowd, as soon as it gathers, it will soon after scatter. There's a crowd that in its nature experiences Jesus at something of a distance. But then there's another group of people at that same mountainside, and that's the disciples. And the disciples, they don't gather, then scatter. The disciples arrive with Jesus. They remain with Jesus, and they live with Jesus. The disciples have this daily experience of intimate relationship with who Jesus is. And because of that, they have a deeper experience of who Jesus is. Now, I think God's design for our life is to experience connection with Jesus, not like part of the crowd, but as one of the 12. To experience relationship and connection with Jesus in a deep and meaningful way. But one of the things that we need to understand about the difference between the disciples and the crowd. And let's think of this in the context of Jesus and his ministry in Galilee. That the disciples paid a very different price to the rest of the crowd. That Jesus, across the three years of his ministry, he was constantly in motion. He traveled from household to household, from village to village, from space and to region to region. And for the disciple to remain in close proximity to Jesus, the disciple had to do something incredibly significant. The disciple had to follow. And of course, this was the initial invitation of Jesus to all of his disciples to come, come and follow me. And the disciples that chose that experienced something new and deeper in who Jesus was. You know, there's something in this idea for each and every one of us. And here's what I think around discipleship. And as I think about the distinction between the disciples and the crowd, and there's something to get our heads around early here, and I want to give you, give you this idea to begin playing with. That when it comes to our connection with Jesus, salvation is always free, but discipleship always has a cost. Salvation, always free, no matter what. The grace of God in my life, never a cost attached to it. Simply by faith, through grace in the name of Jesus. Zero cost to salvation, always and forever. The discipleship, that does have a cost. And it was a cost that the disciples were prepared to pay. So if God's design for our life is to experience faith in close proximity to Jesus, really we could reinterpret that and say God's design for our life is to follow Jesus with passion is to be disciples, to grow to become more like who Jesus is. That's the invitation of come and follow me that Christ brings to our lives. So here's the question I want to offer to you this morning as we begin to wrestle with this idea and head into Scripture. How much is it costing you to follow Jesus? How much is it costing you? Now, as you reflect on that question, 
I want to take you to an incredible passage of Scripture in Matthew 28. If you've got your Bibles here this morning, I invite you to open them up. If you've got them on some kind of device, please do that. If you're joining us online, uh, get out your Bibles as well. And uh, my heart is to engage with Scripture together as we look at these four verses. And for, for some of you, these will be verses that you remember. And we're going to begin in Matthew 28, verse 16, and we're going to stop at verse 18. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Again, you can imagine that picture of Jesus teaching on the mountainside, where the disciples are gathering, is that kind of a place. There's only eleven now. This is after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Judas is now no longer numbered among the twelve. So they gather, and then in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubt it. And in my imagination, as I make sense of this scene and verse, it's almost as if perhaps Jesus was at a distance and those that, that had faith in Christ's words that he would be there immediately worshipped. And maybe there were some others that needed a little bit more faith on that journey. Then Jesus comes a little closer in verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, when we reflect on these just two verses, there's a couple of really significant things. One is the context of the relationship between the disciples and Jesus, that they arrive on that mountainside in Galilee in the context of a relationship. They've been journeying with Jesus for three years, living with Jesus for three years. There's a built-up relationship over time, and they arrive to the mountain of Galilee with an existing relationship. And when I reflect on what discipleship is and the design of God for us to live our life shaped by who Jesus is, that, that there's something so key in this exact moment, that as we follow Christ and step into the design that he has for us, Jesus would lead us to a certain point. And it's this, that discipleship is not about being a student. See, a student engages with a course, the student engages with a curriculum. A student learns a syllabus. A student learns knowledge and is shaped by the content of that course. But a disciple is shaped by the content of a character. A disciple is shaped by relationship with Jesus. And the disciples come to Jesus in this moment in the context of a relationship, not students coming to learn information, but lives coming to be transformed in the context of relationship. And this is where discipleship begins, that it's a relationship with Jesus. And out of that relationship and through that relationship, Jesus can start to bring some incredibly renewing, transformative things in our lives. You know, I believe one of the biggest problems Christianity has is that so often we try to project information we try to project knowledge about who Jesus is. Where God's design for us is to be shaped by a relationship and inform a world based on who we are in Him. Flowing from relationship with Christ. That who we are as disciples is not about learning about who Jesus is. It's about being in the room with Jesus. It's about praying with Jesus. It's about having conversations with Jesus. It's about engaging with his story through the Gospels. That it's a real relationship. Now, if that's where discipleship begins, in the second part of these verses I've shown you, we get to what starts to become the cost of discipleship. And Jesus' words as the 11 gather, 
He says, all authority, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, Jesus is communicating something incredibly powerful about who he is in this moment. He's saying that my name, as we prayed a few moments ago, is set above everything else in creation. He's saying that my name is greater. And the specific and most, uh, most immediate application of this is that my name is set above your name. And this is the next step in discipleship, is that discipleship actually requires submission. Now, for a lot of us, submission isn't a particularly popular word or idea. To submit to the authority of another. Who has an immediate negative reaction to that idea? Yeah? Most of us, right? Because the problem is, when it comes to the idea of authority or submitting to authority, we're locked within a human context of what that means. Whereas what God is offering here is the knowledge that Jesus is set above all of creation. In Colossians 1, it tells us that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, that all of the universe is held together in him, that it consists in him, that not only is he the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, but he is the one that was present and instrumental in creation. And here we get the idea of God in one, God 3 and 1, Father, Son, and the Spirit, that Jesus is set above all things. So we can't approach submission to Christ the way we would approach submission to a teacher or a parent, or a boss, or a government, or whatever it might be, because Christ's name is set fundamentally above, because he's the creator. So when it comes to understanding the authority of Christ, and what it means as a disciple to submit to the authority of Christ, we need to have a completely renewed and transformed sense of what that is, because we cannot approach it within a human context, because two things will happen. If we approach it in a human context, we'll have a negative reaction to it and say no. And we profoundly limit God because he's not a human being. His name is set above all things. In his heart and mind, the design for our bodies and hands and hearts and spirit and soul came to life. There's a different kettle of fish when we talk about who Christ is compared to the human expressions of authority in our life. But here's the wrinkle in this whole thing. So Jesus' name set above every other name, firstborn over all creation. Yet, upon the cross, he submits all of that authority, all of that universal power and control. He submits it to the power of the cross and becomes the least of all of us so that we are redeemed. So Jesus, whose name set above every other name, becomes a servant to the cross becomes a servant to me at my least, so that I could be redeemed and renewed to my greatest. So he actually laid down the heavenly, universal authority of his throne to change my life. And when he calls me and says, come follow me, he's simply asking me to do something that he has already done. And when I approach the kingdom of God with that in mind, I can begin to understand, okay, that submitting to Jesus is something deeper and richer than I thought. And here's the other truth, that when people of faith choose to submit to Jesus, guess what we stop doing? Submitting to anything else. When we submit our lives to Jesus, we don't submit to anything else unless he's in it. 
We don't submit to things that Christ isn't in because he is our Lord. You know, many of you might have been baptized here this morning. And one of the things that we ask during baptism is you take Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Now, the Savior is the fun part because salvation doesn't cost us anything. But that's not what the question is. It's do you take Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? That's a question of discipleship. That's saying, yeah, I acknowledge that his name is greater than my own. I'm not about building my kingdom anymore. I'm about building his kingdom. Think about what Jesus said to Peter in the calling of the first disciples. Let go of your nets, I'm going to make you fisher of men. Say, let go of your kingdom, take hold of my kingdom. That's God's design for us in our lives. Let me take you a little bit deeper into these verses here this morning. We're going to go to verse 19. And this is the part that many of you will remember. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, I love this scripture, and so often we read it as we rightly should in the context of the cause that we're given as followers of Christ and who we are together as the church, to actually make disciples of all nations, to help people see who Jesus is and lead them to the point where they can receive his grace by the power of his Holy Spirit, put their faith in him and become followers of Jesus that would grow to become more like who he is. This is the, the cause of the church. This is the cause of Jesus. And as disciples, we are invited into that same cause. And so one of the things we have to really begin to wrestle with with, is when we consider the cost of discipleship, we need to remember that it's fundamentally connected to the cause of discipleship. So discipleship has a cause and a cost. And it's revealed here so clearly in Matthew 28, to go into all the world, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, some of you, you've wrestled with these verses before. Some of you, you're experiencing new for the very first time. That that when you now begin to think about who you are as a person of faith, that you're actually connected to a cause that's bigger than yourself. That's an incredible, amazing thing. So here's what I want to do. I want to do a little exercise together here just for a moment. Can we do that together? Can we take a break for a little exercise and do some push-ups? We won't do push-ups, but... Unless you want to. Anyone want to do some push-ups? Let's take a break for a moment here, and I'm going to ask you to reflect for a second. So we we see in here, in Scripture, a pretty clear call from our Savior, whose name is set above everything, go make disciples. So here's what I want you to do. If If you're here this morning, and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, and you recognize that that he calls you with cause, with purpose, as a follower of Christ. If that's you, I want you to engage in this exercise. If, that, if that's not you this morning, and you're just continuing on a journey towards Jesus, uh, I just invite you to continue to walk on that journey. But for those of you that have made that decision, say, yep, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Here's a question I've got for you. Who in your life is a person that you can help to become a disciple? Have a moment. Think of a name. Could be a, another Christian that you know that's, that's growing in their faith. It could be someone that, that doesn't know Jesus yet. But who is someone in your life that you can help 
grow as a disciple. Because this is the, the command that we see in, in Scripture. Go make disciples of all nations. Who's got a name? Anyone? A few people? And, and if you don't, that's fine. You can keep reflecting a little longer. Now, here's what I want you to do with that name. Throw it to the side. Let's get rid of it for a moment. Now, here's, here's what I really believe God wants to do in us this morning. Is that when we think about making disciples of all nations, we're right in saying that it has to start with one. But when we think about making disciples of all nations, the first person, the first disciple that we have to make, it isn't that name that just came to mind, it's you. It's me. That's the first disciple that each one of us has to make. To roll up our sleeves and say, okay, I've experienced salvation. My faith is firmly in who God is and what Christ has done. But now it's time to follow him. The scripture says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Remember, discipleship, it's not a course to learn and distribute it's a relationship to experience formation within and demonstrate. So the first disciple we've got to make is us. So how do we take that first step? You know, there's a clear sense that, that discipleship is going to cost us something. I believe the next step for a lot of us is going to be the, in the arena of some changed behaviors. Let me give you a couple of ideas that I reflect on in my own life. If discipleship has a cause and a cost, and if the first disciple that I'm going to create is myself, what do I need to start thinking about within my own life? You know, there's two sets of behaviors we need to begin to wrestle with. And we'll start with this place. The behaviors that are present in my life that are disconnecting me from who Jesus is. The behaviors in my life that are actually distancing me as a disciple of Christ. Here's another question for you to play with this morning and wrestle with in your own heart and soul. What is the most observable teaching of Jesus or Scripture that you are currently ignoring? This is a question I ask myself as well. What's something I know about the heart and character of Jesus? and what he has for my life that I'm just currently ignoring. And that might take you to the center of the first change behavior for you, not as a Christian, but as a disciple. But we don't just want to stay in that space, because there's another set of behaviors. Not to just think about what are the things that are disconnecting me from Jesus, what are the things that I need to tackle with and process, what are the things that I could build into my life so that I can follow in the footsteps of Christ? You know, one that, that always resounds in my life is Scripture. It's spending time in God's Word. That God's Word quite literally provides the scaffolding for the building of faith and discipleship in our life. That when we engage with God's Word, when we listen to God's Word, when we reflect and apply God's Word, it actually takes our lives powerfully in the direction of Jesus. Maybe that's something for you. Maybe it's a renewed life of prayer. You know, you've probably heard these things before. And here's what I love about discipleship. That the same things, 
that make the disciple of Jesus great are given to every single person in the world. Prayer. The power of his spirit. The power of his word. And I'll acknowledge as well, as we've seen this morning, that not every place in the world world has free power to engage with God's word. And we prayed for them this morning, we'll continue to do so. But for us in our context, we've all got everything we need to be great in the kingdom of God. His spirit, his word, the capacity to pray. I want to give you one other idea. I talked a little earlier about this idea of submitting to who Jesus is, recognizing and acknowledging his authority in our lives. Here's something that could be really helpful, and this is something that I've had in my life for for many, many years at varying levels of intensity in different seasons. That one of the powerful things we can do when it comes to submitting to Jesus in our life is actually having someone in our life that we can practice submission with. To find and identify a person in your life, a godly person, a person who cares deeply about who Jesus is, a person that submits to the Lordship of Christ in their own life, a person that submits to others as well, and go to them and say, I want you to help me in my journey as a disciple. I want to give you the freedom, and I welcome any challenge that you would bring to my life, any rebuke that you would bring to my life, that anything that you observe or notice within my character that I need to grow through as a follower of Jesus, I want you to tell me about it. I'm going to be excited when I hear it. Isn't that a, you know, I haven't quite grown to being excited about receiving rebukes yet, but I've grown to the understanding of its benefit in my life. So is there someone in your life that you can practice Christ-centered submission with? You know, it is such a powerful thing. And again, when it comes to our human concept of authority, we have this resistance to the idea. But we need to have this Christ-focused understanding of what authority is and recognizing that submitting to Jesus and sometimes submitting to people that represent Jesus in all of their wisdom and to say, would you bring this to my life? You know, that could be another step for you as you consider that walk of discipleship in your own life and in your own heart. And then finally, and this is where we'd get to the the classic idea of of the Great Commission, is submitting to a cause greater than ourselves. That's ultimately what discipleship is. There's a cause, there's a cost, and a willingness to say, Jesus... I'm going to be a part of what you're about. I'm going to let go of my kingdom, and I'm going to take hold of your kingdom. Now, I'm going to invite Josh and the team to, to join me. They might emerge from behind me as we bring this to a close this morning. You know, there's a final promise at the end of this scripture that Jesus would be with us always to the very end of the age. He's talking about his spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, that each one of us have complete access to. That as we continue to journey in this walk of discipleship, that we have full access to the power and the presence of God. And it's one of the things we forget way too often. The fullness of God's presence. He has promised me it. He's given it to you. 
But sometimes we forget that it's there. And we experience Christ and His Spirit at a distance as part of the crowd when He invites us to experience it as a disciple. I want to leave you with this thought. Salvation is where Christ laid down His life upon the cross. Discipleship is where we lay down ours. That's the invitation of Jesus when he says, come, follow me. Let me share with you the exact words of Jesus. Then Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And to me, this connects so powerfully to the promise of his Holy Spirit, his sustaining Holy Spirit, his spirit rich in resurrection power to renew and restore and set free and transform, that that is promised to you. The invitation this morning is to follow Jesus in a new way. To follow Jesus with renewed strength, with renewed commitment. To recognize the difference between being a Christian and being a disciple. And today, to choose to take another step forward in the path of discipleship. I want to hold on to the promise of Jesus that his Holy Spirit is here with us and for us always in every step of that journey. And so this morning, what I want to do is give an invitation to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit upon your life. That if you're ready to choose to become a disciple in a new way here this morning, I'm going to take hold of the promise of our Savior and his Spirit that says he is with us and for us always and forever. And I'm going to pray for an outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon your life. And so this morning, I want to even now invite us to stand. The team's going to lead us in a song of praise and worship. And we're just going to make this space at the front available. Might be different elders, staff, people that will pray. But I want to pray a prayer for you this morning. It's not going to be a long-winded prayer. It doesn't need to be. It's going to be a prayer acknowledging the promises of Jesus and asking His Holy Spirit to come and fill your life. If you want to be included that, included in that prayer, I'd invite you to come this morning as we sing this song together. Respond to Jesus. Respond to the invitation of Christ. That you're that man, you're that woman. Christ has come into your world and said, come and follow me. What do you choose? I'd love to pray for you. You come if that's where you're at. Let's worship him.